Welcome to The Author Show, where we feature new authors and books, from fiction to self-help and everything in between. You'll find it all at theauthorshow.com. That's theauthorshow.com. And now let the show begin. Hi, this is The Author Show, and I'm your host, Linda Thompson. Before I introduce our guest, just a quick reminder, the selected interviews are available in our iPhone app, which can be downloaded in the App Store, as well as on TV, on the Roku channel and Amazon Fire TV. Our app name on all platforms is The Author Show. Partner abuse is everywhere, sometimes among people close to you, and you may never know it. In her book, Coercive Relationships, Find the Answers You Seek, author Jennifer C. Parker provides a beacon for survivors of partner abuse. Jennifer joins us to share more. Jennifer, welcome to The Author Show. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. Well, Jennifer, will you please give us a quick overview of Coercive Relationships? Coercive Relationships, Find the Answers You Seek, really provides a comprehensive idea of what coercive control is all about, both for survivors, but also other people who may be concerned about someone in their life that they think is being controlling. So it really provides those answers and helps people answer their questions. What prompted you to write your book? Well, I used to work as a therapist, and over many years of working individually and in group, it was so encouraging to see how people would be empowered, and I decided that I needed to spread the message to more people through a book. Did you write coercive relationships with a specific type of reader in mind? I did, certainly for anybody who's experiencing it or wonders if that's what's happening in their relationship, but I also want to reach other people, as I said, people who might be allies to survivors, as well as therapists who are working with them in terms of their understanding better what's going on in their experience. We most often think as the female in a relationship as the abused, but there are also men who have been abused. Is that correct? That is correct. Intimate partner abuse is gendered in that In heterosexual relationships, it's predominantly men using it against women. But certainly, there are always outliers there. Certainly, it can be women. And then, of course, if you're talking about a same-sex relationship, it can be women and women or men and men. Well, men tend not to share feelings or anything personal, particularly that they are being abused. How do you break through that macho barrier and help these guys? Well, to tell you the truth, working with men isn't something that I did a lot. I did some, but I think they tend to go to other, perhaps to males to do that. But you're right that it is harder because of their socialization. It's like, oh, this can't be happening to me. So both men and women are socialized in such a way that oftentimes they feel shame about this happening in their relationships. Speaking of your credentials, tell us what the difference is between a psychotherapist and a psychiatrist. A psychiatrist is a medical doctor who's trained in being able to do medication. I think they go through all of the medical training, but then they specialize in psychological issues. A psychotherapist can have a degree in social work or psychology, you know, counseling, that kind of thing. And they do not generally prescribe medicine unless they've been specially trained to do so. During your career as a professional psychotherapist, What type of abuse did you see more often, physical or mental? That's a very good question. I will say that most often it was mental, emotional. That was always present, whether or not there was physical abuse. 
And there's a misconception in our society when we think of domestic violence or intimate partner abuse, we only think of the physical sometimes. And it's actually the psychological, emotional forms that have the longest impact and the most intense impact. Research has demonstrated that. I've read that abused women are often afraid of telling anyone because of backlash from their abuser. What do you tell these women? Well, I always work with them in terms of what is safe for them, you know, evaluating the risk and so forth. But you're right that that really does get in the way of them reaching out oftentimes. Often they're very isolated. And so it's important for them to find someone that they can confide in to begin to get support. I think the biggest issue tends to be financial. If you've got a male abuser who is overlording the woman and making her stay home and cutting off all surrounding contacts, where does she go? What does she do? How does she get out? And once she gets out, how does she survive on the outside? Because she hasn't worked in years, if at all. So how do you work with those people? Well, when someone is financially at a disadvantage, there are domestic abuse programs that can be helpful. In addition to finding a therapist that really understands the issue, finding other resources in the community can be very helpful. However, I do want to say that it isn't just people without financial resources. I have worked with doctors. I have worked with all kinds of professionals who certainly have the ability to earn money. And so it cuts across all social classes and professions. It does happen with people who do have resources. Well, Jennifer, short of putting the abuser behind bars, how can someone break away from their abuser permanently? Well, it's a tough process. Certainly, they can divorce if they're married, but it can be the reason for reaching out and getting support is people can help with safety planning. That's a very important thing to do. Frequently, society asks, why don't they leave? Well, that's a very difficult thing to do safely for many people. The most dangerous time can be when they leave. So having someone to take them through a safety plan is very important. If someone suspects that their best friend is in an abusive relationship, how can we help? Oh, I'm glad you asked that question. It's very important, first of all, for that best friend to just know that listening and encouraging the person is the best thing that they can do. Don't try to fix it for them because this is a process where they, if they're able to think it through, frequently it's really hard for them to have the mental space to even be able to do that if they're undergoing a lot of abuse. And so having someone to talk about it with or just getting permission is very important. And by the way, if you don't get a receptive response at first, don't worry about that. You have delivered the message that you're willing and that you're there when they're ready. What kind of reader response have you received from your book? I have received really excellent response. I'm just so glad that I did it, that I wrote the book. It took a lot of effort to do that and to learn how to be a writer as a first-time author. But the response I've gotten has been really wonderful in terms of people really feeling like someone gets it and I'm not the only one. What would be one of the first things that you say to a woman who is being abused and comes to you and says, what do I do? What do I do? Well, I would be, first of all, using the language that she's using. Sometimes they use the language of abuse. Sometimes they say he's controlling. So I would start with wherever that person is and find out what their goal is. It 
Sometimes their goal is, I really want to work on this relationship. And so we work through, is that really a realistic thing? Will that partner get help, the kind of help that they really need? It depends upon the situation. If they are in danger and they need a safety plan, then that means that we'll be looking at a safety plan, looking, uh, going to a resources where they can do safety planning, perhaps even offering shelter if that's something they need. I know that Alcoholics Anonymous and Al-Anon and all the other 10-step programs have a very defined program. Is there anything like that for the abused person? There are defined programs out there. I developed a curriculum that I hope to publish someday, and I'm aware that there are other curriculums out there. So it really depends on where people are, whether or not there are exact programs. One of the things that I'd like to do is to train more people in doing this work. So you are now retired from your central profession. Uh, Now you want to become a teacher. Is that correct? That's it, like an educator for therapists in terms of doing this work. What a great idea. So are there plans to write another book? I have material to write another book, and we will see. I'm hoping to. (laughs) So what is the main message in coercive relationships that you, Jennifer, want readers to grasp? That they are not to blame for what's happening in their relationship. None of us are perfect individuals. So I don't expect anybody to be perfect, but no one deserves abuse. I can't think of a better message. So will you please read a short excerpt from Coercive Relationships for us? I'd be happy to. I am reading from Chapter 4, Bricks in the Coercive Control Wall, which starts with the pain of examining the list. This chapter may be especially difficult to read because it gives examples of abuse Its detailed checklist can leave us feeling like literal bricks have landed on our chest. There are good reasons for this. Partitioning off what is happening instead of keeping it in our conscious awareness serves as a coping strategy that helps us function. We may not connect the incidents and meaning for some time because we just have to manage the crises at hand. This helps us not feel overwhelmed emotionally. However, the strategy may interfere with decision-making. For instance, many say they have trouble recalling how bad it was when their partners begged them to return. Some keep a journal of what happened so that they can refer to it when they doubt their decisions. If we've ended the relationships, we may avoid any thoughts about what happened, thinking there's no point in reliving it. I will emphasize later the importance of grieving in order to truly heal. For now, no, the plan is not to relive it, but to put it in the past for good. To recover, we have to acknowledge what we've experienced. To recognize controlling people, we have to identify what to look for. This chapter should put to rest any questions you've had regarding whether you've suffered from coercive control. The checklist serves as a written type of recounting The unpleasant aspect of retelling what's happened will pay dividends, but that makes it no less painful. And then I go on to the coercive control checklist, which has 12 different kinds of behaviors, and I name them for the effect that they have on victims. Very interesting. So there's one final question that I have for you regarding your book and your work. How is your advice to the abused different if there are children involved? If there are children involved, it certainly complicates things. And unfortunately, 
some abusers will use the children, put the children in the middle. In fact, too often that happens. So I really encourage them, especially if they're getting a divorce, to find an attorney who understands about course of control and how to help them through the process of a divorce when that is happening. I think that's all I want to say. So now I've got to ask, where can we learn more about you and where can we purchase coercive relationships? Find the answers you seek. Well, you can go to my website, which is jenniferccparkermssw.com. And on that website, you will find links to purchase my book. You will also find a sign-up sheet if you would like to sign up for my blog. And there is other information regarding abuse. And I do also have resources in terms of how to look for therapists. We've been talking with Jennifer C. Parker, author of Coercive Relationships, Find the Answers You Seek. Jennifer, thank you for sharing such valuable information about partner abuse and how your book can help us. If or when you publish your next book, will you please come back and talk with us again? I definitely will. And again, thank you for having me. While not in an abusive relationship at present, I have encountered many in my life, and this is a primer on how to recognize them, how to diffuse them, and their effect on you and your children. Very informative and full of good suggestions for relatives and friends in those abusive relationships. There was a review I found for coercive relationships, and if it and today's interview has you wanting more, go to jenniferccparkermsw.com and order your copy today. And when you finish reading, don't forget to post your review. And please share this interview with your friends so that they too may become acquainted with their author. And remember, the author show may be accessed at any time at theauthorshow.com. Plus, selected interviews can also be found on major platforms such as Amazon Fire TV, the Roku channel, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, and many more. Whether you're an author who would like to be featured or a reader in search of new books, theauthorshow.com is a really great place to start. Thanks for listening to The Author Show. Find out more about authors and their work at theauthorshow.com. Theauthorshow.com. Tune in next time to another great author on The Author Show.